welcome back to YCU Podcasts. I'm Molly Flower. This next talk is by Steve Bernard, who gave this talk at a recent Sydney Intensive Care Network and ANZICS meeting. It's a fantastic talk about ECMO CPR. Steve was in town talking about the CHEER study, which you'll hear a lot more about, I'm sure. Okay, here's Steve. And by the way, Steve's going to be at the SMAC meeting. He's a late and fantastic addition to the conference, so look out for him on the Friday morning of SMAC. See you there. The uh, concept of ECMO CPR. And I, I guess I want to put some context into this because one of the criticisms of moving forward in this area is that, well, is it really the priority for now or should we tackle cheap and easy options? But the Victorian context is that I think we're doing a whole lot already for our out-of-hospital cardiac arrest uh, population. Um, Victoria is slightly different from New South Wales and that has to be taken into account. Triple O call system is Australia-wide and now it's all computer-aided uh, for dispatch and post-dispatch instructions. But we do have a pretty strong system in Victoria of early defibrillation uh, with public access defibrillators identified at the time of the call. Uh, we have a firefighter co-response, which uh, you don't have here. Uh, we have community emergency response teams in most rural towns. Um, all our paramedics, every one of them, is trained in uh, uh, laryngeal mask airway and intravenous adrenaline. And we have intensive care paramedics for, intensive care paramedics for uh, admittedly uh, perhaps uh, less proven uh, intubation and uh, drug therapy like amiodarone. But what it means is patients get full advanced cardiac life support as recommended by Australian Resuscitation Council at the scene. And so if the patient gets a pulse back, then they get transported. But what it means is that if they don't get a pulse back, they don't get transported. Uh, and there's a number of reasons for that. Um, but we do have uh, clear criteria for leaving patients at the scene. And they have to, at, at least 30 minutes of resuscitation, have uh, asystole uh, at the time that its uh, uh, resuscitation has ceased and no other particularly compelling reason to transfer. Um, the reason for this is that it's a pretty big occupational health and safety issue to do CPR in the back of a moving ambulance. In fact, it's a complete non-starter if it's regarded as futile. And given that there's no particular therapy up until now that's been able to be provided in the emergency department, then there's been this uh, general agreement that hasn't really been disputed for many years that this is futile and so it's not going to happen. So who do we leave at the scene? Um, we've got a Victorian Ambulance Cardiac Arrest Register. It's got 63,000 patients in it and we interrogated it for 2012 over a 12-month period to say, well, if there was to be ECMO CPR, who might be eligible? And right at the moment we have uh, age criteria. We're trying this in the younger population, uh, under 65, which has just recently moved to under 69. Uh, ventricular fibrillation patients who have the prospect of having a reversible underlying cause for the arrest. So there are 222 patients in that age group and 149 of them got a return of spontaneous circulation. And interestingly in that group the survival is about 55%, which matches pretty well, I might say, with the TTM trial, because there'd be a few percent that uh, fall out in the emergency department, but most of those would go to the ICU. 
So that left 68 with no return of circulation, of whom five were transported as part of uh, this work, um, but 63 were not, and they're declared deceased at the scene. So they're the group that we're hoping we can help in the future. Um, the idea of ECMO CPR moving into something that intensivists might do really started in 2008, 2007, 2008 with the swine flu epidemic. And perfusionists at our hospital said, we, we can't really do all this work. We had a really big influx of work for uh, VV ECMO. And uh, so the intensivists at the Alfred um, really were trained up to run ECMO. And that's including the cannulation and running the circuit. So we don't have perfusionists come into the ICU anymore. The intensivists run that. And that then led to the idea, well, we've got all this lying around. We can cannulate. Can we do it to patients having CPR? It's not new in the world. Uh, a lot of publications out of Japan, uh, some out of Korea, and now increasingly uh, physician, um, some, uh, uh, some work from Europe. And one paper, for example, looking at something that might be a reasonable target to shoot for. If you've got a futile group and you can get 24% favourable neurologic outcome, is that worth shooting for? Well, we thought it was, so we thought we'd start this in, in, um, in Melbourne. And CHEER, it's the acronym for CPR to the emergency department with an autopulse. Uh, hypothermia during CPR, not after CPR, this is during CPR, so different from TTM. Uh, ECMO, during chest compressions and emergency reperfusion in the cath lab. Uh, we had four autopulse machines lying around in, the, uh, in, a, in a cupboard for the ambulance service, so we uh, dusted those off and brought them to, uh, uh, to uh, the four ambulance units around the Alfred. We set up a rapid response kit that had a circuit already primed and ready to go. Uh, small cannula, we have an autopulse for in-hospital arrests. Uh, we have cold fluid sitting in a refrigerator and prime circuit. And we have a big bucket full of uh, drapes and gloves and needles and syringes so that nurses don't have to run off and grab stuff for us. So we're really self-sufficient. Particularly in the emergency department, we very quickly learnt that the scene would become completely chaotic, uh, putting someone onto ECMO during CPR. And we do need about six or seven people, but all with clearly defined roles. Uh, ED, uh, a big participant in running the arrest, but what we do is we stop the standard advanced cardiac life support stuff like defibs and cannulation and adrenaline infusions. We just let all that go. Uh, but we do need someone to look after the oxygenation and ventilation because during mechanical chest compression, that's an issue. Uh, two ED nurses are needed. Uh, we have our ICU senior edge as allocated to the task of pumping in three, or, uh, just a bit over three litres of ice-cold saline to induce hypothermia during the CPR. Uh, we have two ICU consultants who cannulate, although more recently it's one consultant and one senior edge as a sort of training thing, uh, and either an ICU or ED physician to look at uh, ultrasound in the upper abdomen is critical to see where your wires are. Uh, our ICU nurse comes down uh, to uh, look after the autopulse and the ECMO circuit, and um, of course we have a cardiologist uh, ready to go to open a cath lab.
and we get everyone else really to stand back and sort of try and be a little bit quiet. Now, probably, and I understand now it's not really done in this city, but, uh, you know, we cannulate, and I would say not that much different from putting a vascath in. A 15 French arterial catheter is not that large, and a 17 French venous a little bit larger, but not, you know, it's within the skill set of uh, what we would say is people that put in these sorts of cannulas routinely. We ultrasound uh, routinely the federal vessels and we're just getting in the uh, ultrasound capable uh, needles and as I say we don't get going with procedures during this so we have a lot of peace and quiet. It is a difficult procedure. Um, just for those of you that aren't across ECMO particularly it's a multi-stage like lots of little side holes in the venous catheter nice long venous catheter running right up to the right atrium and out a little simple rotary pump an oxygenator and back into the femoral artery and relatively low flows at about three liters a minute is just heaps for a patient at about 32 33 degrees celsius black blood comes out or dark blue bright red blood goes back in so on the way to the cath lab then you have the console uh, which is a pretty simple console to use. The rotary pump, you can see that, and the oxygenator. The cold fluid, well, you know, we think that's the easiest and simplest and most effective way to cool someone by a couple of degrees during chest compressions. And side by side with this, I mean, as an aside, we're still running our big cooling trial for pre-hospital cardiac arrest. That's still running. We've enrolled 1,010 patients already. Um, but we've got a little ways to go on that, but a separate issue. But this seems to uh, work pretty well. And you go to the cath lab, you unblock any blockages, and then the heart starts beating. Now, we do keep 33 degrees in this group. We've, uh, we, we've changed to 36 degrees for our routine post-cardiac arrest at the Alfred, but this group, we do keep 33 degrees for 24 hours. They've had a really significant injury and peri-arrest cooling, I think, is different than two to three hours post-arrest cooling. I think uh, uh, that's just uh, something that uh, I, in particular, think has still um, got uh, uh, clear evidence from animal models. Now, when we started this up, it was primarily for out-of-hospital arrests and really, as a service, we thought, well, if, of course, an in-hospital arrest turns up, then I guess we'd do the same thing. And, of course, it's turned out to be, in fact, the majority of our work since, and I'll show you the data on that. So it's the cheer protocol, but applied in the emergency department or in the ICU uh, or in the cath lab. And I'll just give you three cases of uh, three different sort of uh, cases. But what we're looking for are younger patients with a reversible underlying cause. Now, we've put about 65 patients on this last, in 2013, onto ECMO. And about 30-something of those were so-called eCPR, according to certain definitions, which are up to 10 minutes of cardiac arrest. For this talk, I wanted to talk to you about the more severe end of the spectrum, the patients with a cardiac arrest that's prolonged, and that's a minimum of 30 minutes of chest compressions. And the in-hospital group are CPR into the emergency department and a longer than 30-minute cardiac arrest time, or in-hospital cardiac arrest of at least 30 minutes. So I'm excluding all the patients we've received from other hospitals, 
or for arrest patients but who have had a brief arrest and transitioned to cardiogenic shock, uh, according to certain definitions, they're still eCPR, but I think they're sort of really a cardiogenic shock VA ECMO group, and we won't really uh, talk about those. So where we are at the moment, we've put 20 people on using this protocol, and 11 of them have gone home. Clearly, good neurologic outcome uh, at hospital discharge. So we're running around 55%. And you can see the balance of the numbers there. And you see that the out-of-hospital arrest, I'll just present two patients we learned a little bit about early on who didn't go on to ECMO. Uh, so this is a series of, I just think I've got cut it down to five patients, just to give a little bit of a lesson from each one and then a summary. And our first ever patient, having set it all up, got ambulance buy-in, put the stuff on the, uh, put the auto pulse onto ambulances around the Alfred, and then our first patient came through the door. And a 58-year-old chap, VFRS uh, down the road from the Alfred, Paran, uh, when he had no ROSC at 30 minutes, he was uh, auto pulse applied and brought into the Alfred, uh, cooling, peri-arrest cooling, but the team weren't able to cannulate him. And uh, really when we sort of looked at it, of course, we had no experience trying to needle a femoral artery and vein while chest compressions are going. And that, that mechanical CPR, I can tell you, the whole body moves. And to try and hit a moving target was, it just, cannulation failed. But strangely, on his way to the cath lab anyway, on the autopulse, he got ROSC. And he got angiogram and stented. His total arrest time was about 50 minutes, was exactly 50 minutes. And he made a full recovery. Um, and I think, as I pointed out last night at a talk over at Sinvis, he hit his head, so he has to have a collar and an MRI. But that's an Alfred thing, you don't need to think too much about that. Case two, a 32-year-old triathlete swimming at a local swimming pool, uh, as fit as anyone in the whole world, uh, was found at the bottom of the pool. Um, pulled out. Uh, she uh, had uh, a VFRS, she had a bystander, uh, there, there's a defibrillator there, and the lifesavers had a shockable rhythm. Um, no ROSC at 30 minutes, auto pulsed in, cooled. And she got a pulse back just as she was about to be cannulated, it was all prepped and draped, and there was some umming and ahhing. Probably now, we would still put her on, because these patients often have significant cardiogenic shock. But being a triathlete, as it turns out, she got through this. And uh, there was quite a lot of media subsequent to this case for the idea of there being public access defibrillation plus the autopulse. And she was, uh, went to the media to try and get autopulses onto every ambulance, but which hasn't sort of turned out to be needed, but um, she got a, you know, generated a bit of publicity for all this. Now the guys that did go on to ECMO, this is uh, uh, one of the survivors, and I just make present this case because of the extraordinary cardiac arrest time. 32-year-old male arrested on a tram uh, in our inner city area. Uh, no ROSC at 30 minutes, so auto pulse to the Alfred. Cannulation went not so smoothly. It took a while, and his total chest compression time was 125 minutes. Uh, Peri-arrest cooling, taken to the cath lab, normal coronaries, uh, obviously a cardiomyopathy of some description. And this is about a month later, him visiting uh, outpatients at the Alfred. Um, and uh, according to his family, and he, he feels fine, his family say he's recovered to 
exactly as he was. In the emergency department, this is a, uh, so, you know, a, a, a case that generated um, something like 800,000 uh, hits in social media. 37-year-old guy, Colin, uh, chest pain to the emergency department, VF arrest, which would prove refractory to standard cardiac arrest time, um, put onto our auto pulse, uh, cannulated, total cardiac arrest time 45 minutes, uh, cath lab uh, needed a stent, uh, woke up well, home on day 10, and somehow the media got hold of this and there was a lot of TV. Uh, you know, it's, it's a Aussie breakthrough, but it's not a world first. Uh, we emphasize that. This is, you know, a lot of patients receiving this in other countries, but it was certainly our first big win for in-hospital cardiac arrest. And finally, a, an ICU arrest that we sort of thought we, are, we don't see this condition and now we're going to see a lot of it, I guess, or a bit of it. 28-year-old guy, um, known to have a cardiomyopathy, he's uh, all been worked up by cardiology, a VF arrest, has an AICD already in, and it had a couple of shocks, so he came to the emergency department. Arrested, but got going again after just a few minutes. And the team was sort of was a bit shocky. The team were umming and ahhing, thought, look, we'll take him up to ICU. We'll see how it goes. In the elevator, he arrested again, and he stayed in VF. We couldn't get him out of it. So he went on to ECMO. Total arrest time about, so I think that this one was about 30 minutes. He stayed in VF, a condition that we had not seen before. Uh, he had amiodarone. I remembered last night, he had lignocaine, big bolus, infusions, potassium, mag, procainamide and someone called an electrophysiologist that they knew that might have something to offer and those that heard this last night um, no one sort of really had any suggestions I think even a cardiologist in the room was uh, oh well I'm not sure any takers what would you do Deepak this is audience participation this is the latest in social you know, presentations, it's not a lecture, it's... Yeah, and it's on a bit of adrenaline and noradrenaline for blood pressure. Mm. Could, yeah, good suggestion. Beta blocker. Beta blocker, what I'm saying. It was on a fair bit of pressure. Maybe. Well, it turned out it was isoprenaline. And uh, I'd never heard of such a thing. And he literally converted to sinus rhythm on the end of the needle, which you thought, oh, well, it's a coincidence. But just one last case to present 32-year-old woman, V-fib, uh, playing netball in a little country town, ticked quite a lot of the boxes for this is how rural cardiac arrest should be managed. Dispatch advised there was a public access defibrillator four doors down from the netball stadium, so if someone could run down, break into the shop and get it, and they did, and they came running back, and then over the phone directed them how to use it, and it was a shockable rhythm, and they delivered a shock every two minutes uh, because it took about 12 minutes for the ambulance to arrive, being a country town. 22 minutes of CPR, but ROSC. But then, probably one of the first in Victoria, helicoptered past the big regional town to the Alfred. And, you know, for the idea, well, she's young, it's her first arrest, and she'll probably need to go to the cath lab. Now, at midnight, it's pretty hard to open a cath lab, in the Alfred. It's a 
big public hospital, but it doesn't do that unless you've got a STEMI. But her ECG was normal and her echo was normal. So I was on and talked to the cardiologist and we agreed that it's perfectly appropriate to wait till 8am. So I was pretty uh, cross and upset when I got a call at 6am to say she's re-arrested and she's stayed arrested. So she uh, went on to uh, ECMO. The cath, in fact, was normal. And she stayed in VF as well and reverted on the end of the needle to isoprenaline. So two cases, mm, coincidence, starting to, to wonder. And uh, she was a bit of a, uh, the Herald Sun, obviously a big newspaper in Melbourne, uh, thought this was a big deal. What are we doing now? Well, Zoll uh, have come to the party and given us at $25,000 each, they've given us an extra 10 water pulse to cover Melbourne. So right now we're rolling out uh, really so that hopefully pretty much every young out-of-hospital arrest that's VF or someone who arrests from cardiac cause in front of paramedics can get access to this technology and come to hospital. Not as a result of this, but as it turns out by happy coincidence, except if you're actually on, we now cover the ICU 24-7 with consultant in-house so that we could at least get started whilst calling in a second pair of hands to uh, put the patient onto ECMO. And our goal is to get these patients onto ECMO in 60 minutes because we think their brains will survive that pretty well with peri-arrest cooling. And we're getting going with all the sort of stuff like, because it's not an everyday thing to get going with scenario training. So, uh, that's why I was invited up here yesterday to talk last night. Can Sydney do something like this? Well, of course, I know very little about Sydney and even where the hospitals are and the politics and everything like that, but I, I, I think this has got to come. If you think about young patients that uh, could otherwise be saved, we can now bring patients to hospital in pretty good shape with mechanical chest compressions. Uh, whoever it might be at our place, it's the intensivists. Some American cities are just starting with this and they're going to use their emergency medicine consultants to cannulate. Uh, it's something that, uh, uh, you know, individual, a, a couple of centres might uh, take this on and decide who might be the best people to do this. Uh, un I, I don't know, it'll never probably be proven, but if you're a, if you're a large mammal, like a dog, and you are arrested for a long time there, it is indisputable that you are better at 32 degrees than 36 degrees. But we probably won't get human data on that for peri-arrest cooling until we've got the results of our RINS trial. I think we're pushing boundaries. Uh, I would never have, in my wildest dreams, have thought that 125 minutes really of chest compressions could result in a perfectly normal outcome. And uh, I think our starting uh, at 55% right now after 20 patients has moved this now from being an experiment into this is a service that we're now providing.